sesame chicken will always be your kryptonite, Bob. And it just cracks me up. It will. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have said it because now the FBI will know that. And they'll be like, when they've got me in the basement, they'll be like, we'll give you a little sesame chicken if you just tell us where your friends are. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dave. Thanks for joining Bob and I for our podcast, Thriving in Dystopia. And even though we always try and be professionals, sometimes we swear. So just know that going in. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Hi, Dave. Um, I'm hanging in there. A um, lot going on June 1st. How about yourself? Um... Yeah, it's been a really hard last long week, um, both in like the realm of everything, like the greater community, but also I feel like I've had this weird, all these weird headaches going on. Oh, right. Which um, today is the first day I've been headache free in about a week, which feels really great. But then I hurt my knee on my run today. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's just like, I don't know. That's kind of the way of things. Um, yeah, but this podcast has given me a lot of light over the last week, so that's been really nice. Yeah, we've um, got some feedback from listeners, and it's been mostly positive, so we, we really appreciate that, And but also we appreciate critical feedback as well. Yeah, yeah, and it looks like we have... Um, yeah, I just got a few emails over the last two days that I haven't even told you about. But oh, do tell, um, Dave. Yeah, we uh, one of our listeners, Katie. She's super excited to hear us talk about sports and uh, um, and how to like have the idea of sports and critical thinking come yeah. together. You know, and it's something that we've thought about so much, especially being fans of the Cleveland baseball team. That's right. Yep. Um, and then another one of my old students wants to be on the show, and I'm really excited to have him um, and do some cross-generational talking about the educational system. And I think that that could be like a two-part episode, one with him on it and one with one of my coworkers, Monse. So I'm excited to try and do talk about the education system and sports and all that stuff. Oh, um, great. Yeah. And now, yeah, we also got a lot of downloads, which was cool. Um, we haven't even really blasted it out too much, but it seems like um, it's fun to know that your voice is getting out there a little bit, but also that just people are talking, you know, that always it, feels really good. We got to we gotta credit Joe Shine on the cover art for getting the downloads. Thank you, Joe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He probably got us an extra um, 50% download rate. I, oh, I, think I don't know. Ninety-nine would... percent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> besides, besides, uh, besides maybe mom. ourselves. Yeah, our mo- mom and ourselves. That's a, everyone else's uh, credit to Joe Shine on the cover art. Oh yeah. yeah, did a great job on those prairie dogs. Yeah, um, yeah. So I guess the topic for today is kind of just kind of talking about the last week because it's been such an intense week and I know I've been, so this is kind of like a topic that I came up with. I've been really struck by just everything, right? From 
Um, I think it kind of feels like it all started with Amy Cooper in the park was like the first piece of news. And then George Floyd and then the police station burning. Um, yeah. And it kind of feels like that moment all being wrapped up in the idea of pandemic too. And, um, the idea of sort of sheltering and staying inside and all that stuff has kind of come to a head this week. And it feels like there's been, it kind of feels like pandemonium a little bit. And I'm trying to, I was trying to wrap my head around it and I kind of wanted to use this episode just to talk with you about it and get some of your thoughts, because that's always been something that's been really important for me in my life is talking to you. But also I know in our immediate friend group, you've always been a voice of um, understanding and reason. So I was kind of thinking, oh yeah, maybe um, getting some of Bob's thoughts on the ideas are going to help out not just myself, but also more people too. So that was kind of the, the premise of the show. Um, but yeah, I'm sure I'll have a few few things to say because I've been thinking a lot about it as well. That's a great intro, Dave. Yeah, um, it has been a hell of a week. I mean, it was literally a week ago today that the police, and I won't mince words, murdered George Floyd um, in Minneapolis on, on Memorial Day. And... Um, yeah, I'd say pandemonium is a pretty apt way to talk about things. I mean, there's, I mean, it's just so much going on, I guess, is the feeling that I have. It's uh, an uprising that has taken many different forms over the last week. And, you know, from the massive people in urban areas to like, conversations with people in our lives to just about everything and one one way to think about it is it's really the first time in the last three months that any news story has broken the coronavirus as you know for an extended time um you know Mm, typically the lead article is something coronavirus related and you know in the in the past week that hasn't been the case although you're exactly right that the coronavirus is still there and very much woven in with everything that's going on here. So, right. Yeah. It has been quite a week and, and we're sort of like very much in the midst of it. So it's, it's, you know, kind of interesting and cool to try to download or, or upload or record whatever the word is and an episode <laughs> while we're like seeing all this taking place. Cause yeah, I mean, it's always a historic time, but it's uh, maybe like a particularly historic time right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that there will be some moments of heaviness and I want to try and find some harking back, harking, harpening, um, looking back at last week. Um, I want to definitely try and find some um, joyfulness in the militancy that has been happening. Um, And I definitely don't want to necessarily like say that everything's going to be okay, but I definitely want to have find those moments of light and hope because I think those are important for myself, but also for the world too, to find. So hopefully we can find that. Um, yeah. And I'm not exactly sure where to start 
where exactly to start, but I guess I kind of want to pick your brain mostly about, I feel like George Floyd feels like the most appropriate place to start to me. Yeah. I just feel like at a loss of what to do, you know, and definitely my social media has been flooded by like this or that on how to like help with um, George Floyd or the people who have been arrested. But it's like, it's nothing new, right? And it's interesting yeah. too, because um, yeah, it's not, he's not even the first black man that was killed during the pandemic, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, I mean, we can think about Ahmaud Arbery and think about Breonna Taylor, right? Who were killed. Right. And, um, you know, I think they're, they're passing played into the uprising but yeah I, I think maybe you're you're talking about like why George Floyd why did it erupt after his killing is that one thing that you've been thinking about what what sparked people to take to the streets I guess is my question do you have any like insight into that yeah I think about that question a lot because I think about how do social movements um you know, transform, you know, I wouldn't say like this social movement started, like this movement is very old, but it like changed forms after George Floyd was killed. Um, And oftentimes I think we just can't know, like there's no definitive answer really, because, you know, we can't predict these things either, you know, Mm -hmm. it just happens. It's uh, what, what's, the apt metaphor is that the the ground is very dry. It's a dry prairie. And this happened to be the match that was lit. And um, by the dry prairie, uh, I mean, I'm talking about the 400 years of colonial capitalism in this country, but I'm also talking about, you know, um, Ferguson in 2014 and, mm-hmm. you know, Oscar Grant protests in 2009 in the Bay Area. Um so, um, yeah, I mean, I guess like it's, it's like the, the footage is so visceral, um, that it's probably Definitely. why, you know, it's like it, it could extend to places in society that wouldn't have cared about Breonna Taylor or other people who have been killed by the police. Yeah. I wonder too, a little bit about Minnesota or Minneapolis in particular um, as sort of uh, maybe where it happens, it matters quite a bit, you know? Um, But then once it seemed, maybe I'm wrong about this, but it seemed that once um, Floyd was killed, um, people, activists, and took to the streets and they sort of... um, lit the spark for what happened in Atlanta and then what, what happened in what's been happening all over in big cities and gatherings, you know, is yeah. that right? I mean, I, I think, yeah, what one thing that gets overlooked is like, it seems like these things are spontaneous, but no, they only come after like a lot of community groups and people in the community who have been laying down the groundwork for, um, protests, demonstrations, and uprisings to occur. So yeah, the like activists in Minneapolis are are fierce activists, you know, and they yeah. um, led a great 
um, like counter protest to the Republican National Convention, I think back in 2008. And um, there was a a black person killed right after Mike Brown and Minneapolis had some strong protests then. And then also we remember Philando Castile was killed in Minneapolis as well. So yeah, I think the location does matter. And I definitely uphold or uplift the, the folks in Minneapolis who've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, right. I know that the anarchist movement in Minneapolis has, has been strong for decades, you know, and um, it's been a real point of, you wouldn't necessarily expect it, but it's definitely been a radical um, city for a long time. And yeah, yeah I, I feel like that I, it's a shame because I wanted to make my way up there for a long time. And I, I feel like we, neither of us have ever made it there. So no, at some point I'd like to try and get there. Yeah. I, I went there for a conference a few years ago and. Oh, nice. I I definitely was impressed by people that I met there. And it's that thing, like you don't expect a revolution to start you know, or it starts where you least expect it. And Minneapolis is probably that place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, images of Fargo, the movie come up to me. Yep. And like Um, a lot of white people. Yep. Yeah, exactly. But I think that that's a misconception of, because I know Minneapolis has long, or Minnesota has long been a place that's been open to political and um, refugees in general. So it's been a place that has been diversified over the last like 50 years because they've had such open borders to people coming. Um, so I know like one of the biggest like Somalian, um, like Somalians living outside of the country of Somalia is in Minneapolis. Yep. That's right. Um, not to mention, I think there's like a hundred languages spoken in the city of Minneapolis, which is just like, okay. So there's definitely like some roots there to spread, you know? Exactly. And the white supremacy in Minneapolis is also awful too. So it's like, it's, it's still totally a pressure cooker, you know, it's like not oh, some kind of utopian, you know, multicultural place. It's like, it's still like a very contested, um, you know, social and political place, just like anywhere right. in the U.S. Yeah. 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 Although less so in like some of the places I've lived, like Vermont is not quite uh, contested. Um, and Boulder, the city where we grew up is definitely um, a place that is like ignores the greater, it's not a pressure cooker in any ways. There's the, the political right is not there in, in, both those two spots. I mean, of course it is, but not nearly in the way that it is in places like Santa Cruz where you used to live. Still kind of do, don't you? <laughs> I'm here. I'm here right now. Yep, there you are. Have you found that the week since has been more hopeful, even though it's been hard? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's a, it's an interesting type of hope that it's not... Like, it doesn't exactly feel hope-like to me. Um, It feels like um, I'm, I'm, like, grateful for people who are out there, you know? And it's, like, 
I mean, people are getting out in the streets in like huge numbers and that actually, I guess it's hope or it's something. Um, it gives me life. Maybe it's life that it gives me um, that people are so brave. And a lot of folks who are out there are just like, you know, it's not bravery. I'm just here because I got to be. It's survival. Um, but anyone who's out there, I'm, I'm like very grateful to because ultimately this is the only way that change can happen. You know, it absolutely takes riots for change to happen in the United States. I will say that unequivocally, like in this era, it takes riots. Um, and I know that's controversial, but a sustained study of social change in the United States will absolutely um, like validate that claim that I'm making. Um, yeah. There's a book called, um, let's see, what is it called? Uh, ain't, uh, nonviolence ain't what it used to be, which makes the argument that the state and capitalism have totally co-opted, you know, not nonviolence as a sort of strategy, um, or pacifism as a strategy. And, um, where in the sixties it had more power, um, you know, the police are able to create those free speech zones where protesters can't go out of those free speech zones and politicians are able to use the rhetoric of like, yeah, I, I feel your pain. And then when everything goes away, you know, not change any of the policies. So, hmm. um, yeah, I think it takes this type of sustained movement on the streets and that's, you know, I'm not saying it should end there. Like uh, a rebellion is not a revolution, uh, but I do I do believe it's a important point because it's it's about voice, um, and yeah, I think it also sets off a lot of other things that need to happen, and um, we can talk about that more towards the end. But yeah, how how do you experience the watching the 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 stuff that go, is going on in the streets in a lot of different cities? Yeah, I guess for me, the biggest feeling that I've had is this idea, we want to return to normal, right? And that's been something that's been really, like, you, you've you been hearing that a lot since the pandemic started, like, oh, like, you know, once we go back to normal, or I can't wait to get back to normal, um, and, you know, looking towards moving back to where where we were let's just say in february or um january of 2020 um and i feel like it's been a it's a good reminder for me to to know that that return to normal is it's violent in for a lot of people that idea is returning to normal means returning to police killings of black people in this country returning to normal means returning to um setting down a path towards global warming returning to normal means wage inequality between men and women in this country and i feel like when you say that it's like i don't want to go back to normal there's pieces of me that want to be able to go back to my 
to be able to go to the store and go shopping without having to wear a mask or to be able to go to my job without having to uh, think about all the little intricacies of being a teacher in, um, in a pandemic. But I just know that this country needs change. We need to fix what's been going wrong since the since before the country was even a country, you know? And I think we've been given this gift in some ways with the coronavirus of being able to think of a new normal and what that means and how we can push for that in ourselves, but also push for that in society as a whole. And that's been something that I've been really focusing on over the last week. How can we find a new normal? Meaning, we, yeah, I do want to feel safe and I do want to feel okay on a day to day basis and be able to, you know, raise chickens and grow plants and think about traveling and having kids and all that stuff. But I also want that to be something that is not just a dream for white men in this world or in this country. And I want that to be a dream that we can all share together of pushing away from the dystopia and towards the utopia. So I don't really know exactly what that means and how to get there, how to find that. But I do know that that's something that I want to try and um, remain present for me. It's not just about going back to the way things were. It's about pushing towards newness and a better place. That's beautiful, Dave. Yeah, I, I fully support that. I really do. That's the only realistic perspective because um, like to to try to, not only is trying to go back to the old normal violent, it's also like denial there's there's no return there's um like corona's not going anywhere um and mm-hmm. racism i mean i wish it was going somewhere but it's it's been here for a while so like um it's kind of like i like what you said that we have to not only embrace it at a societal level but embrace it at a like personal and psychological level and and that's hard work, like, um, because I, I'm so with you. I want to I wanna go back and eat sesame chicken for the lunch special, um, but yeah. I can't do that, you know? But I've got to find ways to embrace the this stuff, you know, the, the new context. Um, and I think the only way we can do that is doing it together. And that's where joyful militancy comes in. Um, mm-hmm that we have to open up conversations around it and support each other um, and build trust and responsibility. They talk about trust and responsibility are really important to joyful militancy. um, And responsibility is about like being there for one another, but also response ability, like ability to respond, it increases our capacity for joy. Um, So I I like to think that that is one thing that we can do um, is like 
think about the way that we're relating to one another. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, I mean, that's, that's a big thing, right? But um, yeah, I, I, I was vibing with what you were saying there for sure. Yeah, I think another thing that's important to say that sparked um, in me while you were talking was the idea. Um, it's super important to state that people of color have been dying in such higher numbers due to coronavirus than white people in this country. And yes. I think that that is just another symptom of the sickness that this country has, right? And it's just like so many layers right there. And these are the things that need to get addressed because it's like, how long must people of color suffer and how long must we sit back and not be an ally to, to fight alongside, you know? So true. Absolutely. Yeah, there's particular work that white people do, need to do um, right now. And we talked a little bit about whiteness in the last episode. Um, We have, like, as white people, particular, you know, privilege and certain social power. Um, So we got to use it. And, And whiteness allows, it's like a drug. It allows us to, like, go back to sleep, go back to, you know, quote, unquote, normal. Um, right. And we got to figure out ways like responsibility is also about keeping each other accountable to not go back to those places. Um, um, and to, yeah, like when you're talking the quote, the Ella Baker quote, like when the killing of black children is as important as the killing of white children, only then will, you know, we can stop fighting for like, that's the, the fight for justice goes on until then. So right. yeah, there's there's things that we need to be doing, like right now because you know we always need to be doing them. But the the spark is very lit, and so the the political space has opened up, and that and there's hope in that. I think that for me, conversation is super important for white people to be having conversations about racism and race and. The fact that we live in a white supremacist country. Um, but yeah, are there other things that are coming to your mind? For me, what I've been trying to do is um, introduce like conversation and like things that we can do around prison abolition and police abolition. Um, and those terms are like, might sound really scary and wild um but uh those uh ideas of abolition are around not just like doing away with prisons or doing away with police but thinking about what are the social conditions that lead a society to build cages and put them in there or build a society where you have these like this militarized force that's like killing people, um, poor people and people of color. Um, and, and also recognizing the, the, like when those institutions, when there's reforms around them, like we need to reform prison or reform the police, those reforms typically, um, grow those institutions. So 
reforming the prison has led to the expansion and building of more like so-called just prisons um, and reforming the mm. police has only given them more money, um, like more trainings, more like uh, body cameras, but they turn those things off and the trainings don't work. So it like it, it expands their budgets. Um, so abolition means no, no, no. We, we actually like we need to envision a society that doesn't have those things um, because those things are really violent. Um, and so th- I think that the first step in that is trying to understand how the police operate in our local communities, educating ourselves, and then working to defund the police. Um, and defund m- might sound like a reform, but it is, I think, a necessary first step towards um, abolition. So that that's where I'm at with like things that white people can do. Um, you know, like showing up to city council meetings and putting these uh, ideas out there, um, while also just having these conversations because these conversations. I know in a lot of circles, when you bring up the, the term, when one brings up the term abolition, there's a lot of resistance to it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I'm also, I guess I feel like the video of Amy Cooper, whether or not she realized that she was using her, her privilege and her whiteness as a tool and a weapon against Chris Cooper. She still was. And I think what's really important for us is to know that our whiteness is, has power and to know how to use it in ways to deconstruct the system rather than to reinforce it. And it's for so long, like if you are a person of color, like Chris Cooper said, he's like, he's aware of the fact that birding happens early in the mornings and oftentimes he's hiding behind bushes in the park and what that looks like as a black person is something that not a lot of white people have thought about right and so i think it's it's important for us to realize because people of color are always carrying their race around with them and we need to always be carrying our race around with us too to know what we're using because if if this is a tool and a weapon that we have, we have to use it in the right ways and we have to stop using it as a weapon against people of color. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, absolutely. And I would add to that, that like, and we should be like white, white people. One way that whiteness functions is to make itself invisible to white people. And Mm -hmm. so we, we need to be like, reflecting and reading and listening um, to learn about our whiteness. And we're only going to like understand some of the ways that our whiteness is is showing up in the world. So then we also really need humility. And like when people give us feedback, particularly people of color give us feedback on our whiteness, we have to like absolutely not get defensive, even though that's often a you know, the first response, but to like, let that defense go and like, come, come in with like a listening stance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know 
we don't have a ton of time and I also want to, um, there's a few things that I wanted to bring up. I also read a book called how nonviolence protects the state by Peter Gelderloos. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And there's a Ward Churchill book that was also about nonviolence and how it's a tool of the state. Um, but I'm not remembering that one. Oh, that one's called pacifism as pathology. Right. Those are all those books are interesting reads. Um, I also want to say that sesame chicken will always be your kryptonite, Bob. Oh, it will. Yep. Just cracks me up. It will. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have, it's like um, I shouldn't have said it because now the FBI will know that and they'll be like, when they've got me in the basement, they'll be like, we'll give you a little sesame chicken if you just tell us where your friends are. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, I just feel like in a lot of ways I'm wanting to find that like moment of hope, that thing that will like kind of like what, what can like get me out of this funk that I've been feeling this week. Um, and I think really what it is, is just conversations with people like you, like we're having right now. Um, because I feel like there's so much hope in unity and friendship and togetherness. And I just want to keep building that. That feels really strong to me. And I know this all feels like a big wrap up, but um, I'm also curious if you have other stuff that you want to talk about before we move on. Just one more thing. I, in preparation for the show, I listened to a it's kind of like a podcast. Um, we'll link to it where they're interviewing uh, historian Robin D.G. Kelly. And Robin Kelly is really great. Um, and he talks about this idea of shelter in place um, being the wrong like imagery because in place means keeping things in place, like going back to the old normal. Um, and he likes, he likes the term shelter in revolution or shelter in movement. And it, it's, it'll be interesting for us to think about because like what we saw in the streets was definitely movement and it was people like being in the streets in spite of the pandemic. However, they probably exposed themselves to risk of the coronavirus. And certainly when the, the folks who got arrested definitely did, um, yeah. So it's like still very important to like think about like how do we make sure that like the coronavirus do you know like we don't want it spreading especially in black and brown communities but then like it's so important to be in the streets so it's like wow this is this is some challenging like you know catch 22 type stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, can I ask you another question? Yeah. And this is for our, for our listeners as well as for me, but I'm curious, where do you find most, like what news sources would you recommend to people? Oh yeah. Maybe we could move right into our tuned in section at the oh, end yeah. here. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Um, I think democracy now, you know, reading those articles or listening and watching on their website is you know just 
a real important foundation for me. Um, and then The Root is a really good one. And Damien Young's writing on The, the Root. Um, I think it's a great like news source that will focus on a lot of the topics we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. Do you, what news do you plug into? Um, I tend to use mostly you as my news source. So that's, <laughs> um, uh, I definitely read the New York times on Sunday and I feel like there's a lot of good stuff there. Um, and they have a podcast called the daily, which is a good podcast to listen to. Yeah, of course, John Oliver is a place where I get a lot of my news as well. Um, and he has been, I find that if I, if I look back on the last 20 years of where I've gotten news, mostly it's been through comedy. First, it was the daily show. And of course the daily show is still a part of, um, I, I definitely have appreciated Trevor Noah's voice, but also John Oliver. And it's interesting how much of our, how much the comedy newscast has influenced us because it's like they are not afraid to take a harsh lens. And I feel like John Stewart's led the way in that a lot in a lot of ways too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like that a lot too. Um, I also have to, it's a weird um, t- tuned in or, but it's just, it fits the show in a weird way. I'm going to also mentioned that I've been listening to the new Strokes album and the name of that album is The New Abnormal. Um, so that's why I bring it in. Oh, interesting. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not really helpful at all in the t- themes that we've been talking about, but it's been it's been fun to, to listen to that album being a Strokes fan. Yeah. I uh, I guess one other thing that I wanted to talk about is just uh, listening to podcasts has been a big part of getting me through um, over the last few months, but also listening to audiobooks and reading books has been good. And I've been reading this author, his name is Brandon Sanderson, and I find him to be one of the best fantasy writers. And he is just so prolific in the ways that most fantasy writers, they just like, they can't end anything, you know? Yeah. He he has started and finished plenty of series, and I've really appreciated that. So both his Mistborn and his oh, I'm gonna forget the name of his other trilogy, but they've they've both been really good, and I've been uh, listening to the Mistborn trilogy this this last week. So that's been really nice to take me out of. Oh, yeah, and I gotta mention Rick and Morty. That's been a great show. Not to get too deep into that, but. Boy, I feel like we could talk about the tuned-in section for hours, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is Rick and Morty, is it the same people as who do Bob's Burgers? No, it's the same people who do Community. Okay. Uh, one of the, They also started a new show. I think it might be on Hulu or Amazon about, like, aliens. Uh, I haven't seen that show either. Man. You're going to have your work cut out in the show notes, Bob, referencing all the stuff that I can't remember. Oh, brutal. (laughs) Well, I guess I also want to just say thank you to everybody out there that's listened over the past week, and hopefully you've enjoyed what you've heard. And 
I've enjoyed reading the emails from people and yeah, getting feedback has been great. Absolutely. So yep. It's de- definitely helps, helps us thrive and helps us sustain, you know? Oh, true. Yeah. Like, um, I had been thinking about this, this is, should have been earlier, but the idea of thriving, it only happens when a community is thriving, uh, thriving. I don't really think can actually happen to an individual. So yeah, I really, I resonate with what you say. Yeah. So if you want to send us an email, give us a, give me an email at uh, davepeachtree at gmail.com. And let's see if you can nail your Twitter this week, Bob. I think I can do it. Let's see. <laughs> send us a tweet at um, handle bmaze19. That's spelled B-M-A-Z-E 19. Nice. So I think we should just end it there. And oh, yeah, next week we're, we got to do sports. Yeah, I think I'm, so. I'm craving it. But if you need a little sports, you should listen to John Oliver's uh, bit on sports, or you can listen to the This American Life this week. They also did an episode on sports, and they're both good. But I think we're going to take a little bit more of a radical edge to it. So that'll be nice. There it is. That's that's a wrap. Yeah. That's a wrap. All right. Love you, Bob. Love you, Dave. Take care. I am lost. Hey, y'all. Bob and I want to just take a moment and thank you for lending us your ears for this show. And we also want to thank the artists who have lended us the tunes for the show. The intro is a song called In Heaven by Drake Stafford. And the outro that you're listening to right now is a song called Hurricane. And it's by Kula off the album Colossus. Hope you enjoy it and hope you have a great week. Stop, stop.